Let's eat each other's pogs, friendo. I'll simp your gimp if you simp mine. my sweet little sweat hogs, and welcome to another exciting episode of the New Albion Radio Hour, the show from below that knows you know and where you go. Lots of religions offer you the end times, but only us mad little murdering Max here deliver. Well, we've gotten big enough that we're actually starting to get fan mail. I'm so delighted. Let me read one at random. Here, pick. Ah, this one. Dear Lloyd, who are you and what the hell is going on? I can't figure out if you're real or some surreal practical joke, but we here in dorm floor six at Lindy Hall love it, especially all your eating college student gags. You're the bee's knees, you crazy cat. Carry on. Love, Millie. Well, Millie, I love you too. Love to eat you. No. I don't eat people. I I mean, I have, but not that many times, and certainly not these days. I mean, I would if I could, especially if you wanted me to. I'm not opposed to it, not morally. I mean, who says pigs are more deserving of voring than puppies or people? No, it's pure prejudice. Well, no prejudice for me. I use reason and compassion to arrive at the conclusion that if you're going to take that juicy, delicious step into eating your fellow human beings, college students are simply the best place you can start. First of all, they're young and succulent. I agree, eating children is horrifying. I mean, come on, we're not monsters here. But your average college student is over 18, firm and plump little flesh and... With their youth comes a certain optimism. Now, Lloyd, you say, I know lots of college students who aren't optimistic. They're moody little emo downers. My God, you should see them playing their depressing music or their angry little head-banging diatribes to life's betrayals and unfairnesses. Well, don't you believe it. Tell them about a party or a cute little hottie and watch their little eyes light up with delight. No, I'm sorry. Your average college student is filled with youthful optimism, believing life could offer them wonders and joys to sample and savor. Drink and hanky-panky and merriment to be had. Hooroo, hooray, oh merry day. What better favor could you do these fine lads and lasses than to eat them? Take them out in their prime before true disappointment sets in. That's right. You think you're disappointed now. You think you're disappointed now at 19? You don't know disappointment. There's a little part of you in there, deep down there somewhere, that hasn't really given up yet. Oh, I know it's there. Oh, yes, I do. And I'm going to find it and eat it. For your own good, savor that last little bit of hope. Someone should before it just 
dies a slow, lingering death at the hands of a cruel, uncaring universe, withered and wasting away. No! Suck that morsel down in its prime, I say! If for those of you who say, But Lloyd, I'm a college student, and I assure you, I am literally just a walking mess. I have no idea what morsel of hope you mean. I'm a person hanging together by glue and string. Well, aren't we all? Come, let Lloyd unburden you. I will show you. You may indeed be a mess, but you are a candy-coated mess of sugary goodness that I will nom on till the goo is through. Then you will worry about the cruelties of fate no more. One of the lucky ones. <laughs> Just to be clear, that is humor. I do not eat people nowadays. I can't. I would just use your flesh for my flesh suit wardrobe. And what a collection I've amassed! And you could be part of it! The honor and glory! No, dear listener, I'm not serious about eating you. The only thing I'm serious about is your impending doom. Today's episode is brought to you by Rupert's Puzzle Place. Rupert makes all his own puzzles as well as sells all sorts of games. Rupert will take scenes from your life and make it into a puzzle. Yes, put it down, then chop it up into little pieces. You must then spend days rearranging back into some form of sense which is just one of the more delightful metaphors I've yet heard. But Rupert really does it. Can't make sense of your life? Well, Rupert will deliver one tiny little piece of your life that you can. You can turn it into some sense of order, chaos into meaning. Wouldn't it be nice to know that feeling just once in your otherwise bewildered existence? Well, come down to Rupert's Puzzle Place and find out what it's like to make sense of at least one small part of your fleeting life. Well, that was a lovely introduction today. So, without further ado, our story continues. The gang looked around in wonder. Fairy roads, exclaimed Jill. We're on forest fairy roads. It's so beautiful, and the trees are covering the top almost like a tunnel. Ooh, and look at these pretty colors flowing past us, like, like pastel winds. What are you talking about, said Michael. We're underground. It looks like some kind of dungeon labyrinth. I, I see colors going past us, though. Are they made of air or some kind of dust? The colors are beautiful, said Asha, but we're in caves. It's all rock. It, it's stone and brick, said Michael. It's trees and leaves, said Jill. How are we all seeing different things? Asha turned to Lloyd. Lloyd, what do you see? Fascinating, said Lloyd. If I concentrate, I can see what each of you are seeing for just a moment, but then it fades back into this... I don't have words for it. I've never seen anything like this before. We're in a tunnel, that is certain. And these clumps of airy color just flow past us. We all see that correctly. But the walls, they're not made of... 
they're nothing I've ever seen. It's like they're made of reality's undergrowth. Whoa, said Michael, what are you talking about? Why do we see different things? Hang on, I know an old Sufi trick, Jill said. She half closed her eyes and started murmuring. She stood like this for several minutes. Then, still murmuring, she opened her eyes. Her eyes widened, and she struggled to keep her murmuring on track. Finally, she wavered and stopped. Lloyd's right. He's seeing the most accurately. The rest of us are... It's like our brains are faced with something they don't know how to process, so they're filling in the next best thing. What happens if we all try to see the same thing, asked Asha. Oh, that's a good idea. Can we all try to see... to see... Oh, I like your fairy forest, said Michael. Oh, I don't see that anymore, Jill shook her head. Now I'm getting underground dirt tunnel. I think my brain now knows it was far off and replaced it with something closer. Okay, I'll go for dirt, although stone was cool. Stone is cool, said Asha. Let's try for stone. Not you, Lloyd, said Jill. You're the only one of us capable of perceiving reality as it is. You shouldn't lose that. That is a scarier concept than you can imagine, said Lloyd. But okay, I'll maintain my perception. Asha, Jill, and Michael held hands. They each started saying stone randomly until they were chanting it together in unison. After about 20 seconds, they started ooing and aahing. Wow, that works, said Michael. Cool, said Asha, so we can influence each other's realities. We're always influenced by other people's realities, said Jill. But yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Except reality still exists, and we still don't quite see it, said Michael. I do, said Lloyd. I see reality perfectly clearly. God help us all. They all chuckled. Every so often, a creature would squirm out of the walls. It was made of what could only be described as bubbles or balls. The specific shape changed each time. No two were exactly alike, although all were made of the same circular bubbles. After squirming out of the wall, it would then crawl quickly along the sides of the tunnel, scurrying to some unknown destination further up or down the tunnel. Periodically, enormous things could be seen moving inside the wall, burrowing past, although these never burst out, at least not yet. And of course, wisps of color drifted constantly past, usually about waist high, but not always. The gang decided to follow the direction the colors were flowing. They soon came to a fork in the tunnel. Which way do we go? asked Michael. If we're guided by a larger narrative current, then whatever direction we pick will lead us where we want to go, argued Asha. Yeah, but aren't we past narrative currents? I mean, we're not in a strand. We're not even in the same dimension or, or layer or whatever. I don't think narratives apply to us anymore. There could be meta narratives, said Jill. This one book in the Abbey talked about information fields, said Asha. Even if the information field manifests as narratives on one level and something else on another, it isn't wholly or fundamentally different. I mean, it's all still the same information field, right? Just manifesting different on different levels? The gang looked at her blankly. Although, 
If the rules change enough, I guess their behavior or properties could change too. I don't know. I don't know. We have no way of knowing much of anything, suggested Lloyd, which means at the end of the day, we simply have to pick a direction and go. Wait, said Jill. Manifesting intent is never a bad idea. At worst, it's a waste of a minute or two. But it works in magic, and it might work here. They joined hands again, including Lloyd, and all chanted level five over and over for a few minutes. Then they opened their eyes, and Michael just started walking. Asha looked at Jill and shrugged, and they all set off. They walked for days. Asha and Michael had all sorts of jerky in their packs. It wasn't pleasant, but it did the job. As they walked, what they saw changed. The dirt tunnels drifted off into vines, snow, and even at one point library stacks. It was different for each of them, but whenever one of them particularly liked the scenery, they would all come together to see it for a few hours. There were branches and forks and twists and turns. There were even doors. They opened a few. They led into odd places. Some were earthen lands, and some were from realities clearly not meant for them. At the end of the first day, Lloyd told the others he saw patterns. Jill started seeing hieroglyphics on the wall. It took a bit of concentration, but Asha eventually saw scrawls and cave paintings. Michael saw graffiti. They fell asleep beneath it. Asha stayed up looking at it. In the middle of the night, she woke everyone up with exclamations. That's us, she cried. It's us. Jill went into her Sufi trance and Lloyd peered closely. In the end, they agreed it was possible that four distinct symbols they all saw, although Michael and Asha saw them differently, could possibly represent them. We're following our story, insisted Asha. This is our story, and if we follow it, we will reach where we are going. Asha felt the wall with her hands. There, yes, you have to close your eyes and feel it. This is us. Uh, that's a... I mean, are we really sure about this? Uh, we might just be insanely lost, said Michael. Lloyd shook his head. There is no actual reason to believe what Asha is saying, and yet, Jill nodded, it feels right. It's irrational, but we're way past rational. Every witchy sense I've spent my years developing says that Asha is right. She's a natural here. She can see with something other than her eyes here, just like Lloyd in his way. We need to follow her, even if she doesn't understand it herself. When they reached turns and alternate tunnels, Asha would touch the walls and close her eyes and eventually lead them down the right path. Jill and Lloyd would confer. Jill found that looking at the wall with her scrying glass would reveal the symbols, and Lloyd saw the patterns anyway. They would both soon find the symbols down the path that Asha was walking, still touching the walls with eyes closed. Once, on the second day, when Asha was stuck, Michael said, I got it. Watch this. He whistled and sauntered, and without even paying attention, just started down one hall, then another. After a bit of this, the others gasped, when in fact, it kept up perfectly with the symbols in Asha's touching technique. 
By the third day, the only thing that really worried them was the three gnomes behind them. Asha spied them earlier that day, while Jill was talking to her about the best spiced wine recipes from mid-Equinox ritual gatherings, which she said were actually just excuses to go out into the woods and get hammered naked. She was insistent that you haven't lived until you've howled at the moon at midnight while clothless and off your rocker on really well-done spiced wine. Asha had been hearing small sounds for a while, but as the tunnels were actually quite busy, it had been easy not to notice. However, she distinctly saw three little gnomes cautiously following them, careful to stay back, just out of sight, stopping when they stopped. She tried to tell Jill as low-key as she could. Don't look now, but there are three little gnomes behind us. I said don't look! She and Jill spent the next few hours clandestinely studying them, and when the group stopped for a break and to eat, they brought it up to the others. I think they're scared, said Jill. Good, said Lloyd. A little mortal terror before their painful end is good for them. Damn, said Michael. I mean, I get it, but damn. We should maybe reach out to them in kindness, Maybe we can... Asha paused. I mean, we're all lost in a strange place. Maybe we can use compassion to build some kind of trust. Stop this terrible cycle. Are you suggesting that us being nice to them will stop them from eating entire realities? Asked Lloyd. Well, Asha stammered. I think given the circumstances, it can't hurt, said Jill. Maybe a little gesture of kindness can lead to something better. Michael and Lloyd exchanged a glance. Michael then shrugged. All right, we'll give it a shot. I will be ready in case it backfires, said Lloyd. Just in case. Jill took some jerky and slowly crawled back towards the gnomes who cowered away from her and were ready to run. She left some jerky, nodded, then returned to the group. The gnomes waited until the group was getting up to leave, then cautiously took the jerky and gnawed on it, making little squeaky noises to each other. It took a day more, but finally Jill put the jerky beside her and the gnomes came up to them. They took the jerky and sat down next to the group, constantly glancing at them in fear ready to bolt on a moment's notice. They gnawed away at the jerky like little mice, and when the group got up to continue, the three gnomes walked with them. Is this starting to get to anyone? asked Asha, as they prepared to bed down at the end of day four. My head's a little weird in this place. Oh yeah, said Michael. It reminds me of this one shroom trip that never seemed to end, said Jill. I rather like it, said Lloyd, but even so, I am ready to check into a nice hotel with a nice bed and bath, maybe a well-cooked meal in a restaurant. The group all sighed. Asha was fidgeting more than usual. She was trying to keep a map as something to do in a way to impose some kind of order on the place. It was incredibly difficult, though, as it just went on and on. She had filled dozens of sheets of paper, 
When she sat and fidgeted too much, Lloyd would come sit beside her and just gently lean against her. She would cringe for a second, then after several minutes would sigh and lean back against him and try to stop for a bit. But her fingers kept moving, her forefinger making little circles on her thumb. Then Lloyd would talk about science. He'd pick any random topic that came to his head and explain every theory on it he knew until Asha would take over and mentally try to work it out further. When she really got going, her fidgeting stopped and her heavy focus would seem to relax her. They did this this night and finally Asha drifted off to sleep. She awoke screaming. The three gnomes were on top of her, biting her flesh, ripping into her arm with their little mouths. One ripped away a tiny piece of flesh. Motherfucker, she screamed. The group groggily shot awake. Lloyd made an almost snarling noise as he grabbed two of them. Michael lunged over and caught the third one as it started to scurry away. He held it firmly, then looked at Lloyd. What do we do with him? Lloyd smiled. In slow, grand gestures, as if he were a teacher in a class, he held the one in his right hand up. He turned it upside down, then smashed its little head into the ground, making a gruesome, explosive mess. He looked up, smiled widely, then held up the second gnome, who was now squirming hysterically. Lloyd's grip was like iron. He held the gnome up to his face, raised his now empty but messy right hand, and gave it a little finger wave. Then he made a sad face and slowly turned the second gnome upside down. A second later, there was another splat sound. Damn, son, you cold, said Michael, although he was nodding. He took his gnome over to the wall and banged it against the wall like a spike, then wiped his hands full of little black guts on his pants. Jill sighed. Well, so much for the friendly approach. On day five, they came to what could only be described as a sphincter at a wall's end. It was very large, puckered and swollen. It could easily fit an entire person, even two. It was at the end of a cul-de-sac, like a door at the end of a hallway. The gang all agreed this was it. Asha's touch, Michael's instinct, Jill's Sufi vision, and Lloyd's pattern recognition all were in alignment. So who wants to go into the giant butthole first? asked Michael. It's a sacred doorway between dimensions, said Jill. And that looks like a giant butthole, said Michael. It, it kind of does, agreed Asha. I'm willing to make sure it's safe, said Lloyd. Maybe we should go in together, said Asha. Oh, it could be a squeeze, said Michael. What if we hold hands in a chain, suggested Jill. They all liked this idea. Lloyd went first, holding Asha's hand, who held Jill's, and Michael took the rear. They all entered the giant sphincter. It was not unlike a relatively tight birth canal, although the walls seemed to be made of nebulas expanding and contracting. They remained upright, and each grasped each other's hands so tightly it hurt, 
but they were sucked through with a momentum that ensured no one need even move. They just hung on as they were pulled through. It took about 15 minutes, but they were soon spit out the other side. The other side was where things got really weird. It was sometimes like a great DMT world, sometimes like a realm of colored space or even blank space where objects could either appear or be manifested. They were floating aimlessly when Michael said he wished there was some ground, and upon saying this, a platform manifested beneath them. They would go on to build a tower, inside of which they made a playhouse. Because of the colors that would often manifest around the tower, they called it the August Sky Playhouse. Within, they kept things as normal as possible. They would eat lavish dinners, enjoy juice and wine, laugh and enjoy each other's company, and explore what could be done by continuing to create and perform plays and performances. Things came to watch them. Their performances began to be attended by all sorts of creatures from across level five space. They began to learn. Meanwhile, in a place far, far away, a man sat on a bridge crying. Across from him was a factory lit up in the night, its towers smoking. A pile of cigarette butts lay around him and through his tears, he looked down at the water. He thought about jumping. He would sometimes glance manically around him when cars would sound. He had often muttered about bugs, but tonight was different. Cars didn't look like bugs tonight. They looked like four-dimensional things. He was tired. His sleep cycle was decimated. What had previously been summer air was turning, a chill on the breeze announcing the arrival of fall. He wiped his eyes. He made his decision. He walked back home and got into his car. His place was a mess. Dishes strewn about, piles of clutter filled the rooms, but he didn't plan on returning. He drove off, the radio playing in the background. On his dashboard, the time read three o'clock in the morning. I hate this music, and I hate you. That's why I'm going to play it. When I look into your eyes, I can see a love refrain. But darling, when I hold you, don't you know I feel the same? Nothing lasts forever 
And we both know hearts can change And it's hard to hold a candle In the cold November rain We've been through this such a long, long time Just trying to kill the pain Never mind the darkness, we still can find a way. 
Cause nothing lasts forever Even cold November rain 